sort of impressed. I didn't know how that would go over. Good job, everybody. Well, I'm, I'm actually quite honored to be given um, the time with you this morning because really you could, be, you could have as much money as there is in the world and you can't buy time. So I value your time here this morning. And I'm believing God that any time you spend given to God will be, is a seed and, that, and you will experience a harvest from that time. So that's, I'm believing for that for you and for me. We're not just putting in our time here, we're sowing our time. Amen? And we're going to, I'm believing you're going to get something good today, and even I'm going to get something good hearing myself. Do you guys ever give yourselves a pep talk? Am I the only one? No, some of you do? Pep talk in the mirror, me and you. So I'm going to talk about today um, spirit, soul, and body. And, the, you know, it's, it's vitally important to, to our Christian life to know to know how it works. Because that's, like, if we call that having a working knowledge of something. Like, I can hop in my van and zoom over to the church, and it's served its purpose. Great, I know how it works. But if something were to go wrong, I would have zip knowledge of how to get it going again. I have no working knowledge. I wouldn't be able to get it going. It can't help me when something's wrong or something's not working. And God would not have us be ignorant in how our Christian life is supposed to be and how we are how we are made and how we function we're supposed to know these things and not only supposed to know but we're able to know god has given us his word and not just his word because how many of you have read the word and you're like i have no idea what that means he's given us his word but also the opportunity to receive revelation of his word what does it mean how does it apply to your life and so this morning i think is a real dose of of how of a, a working knowledge of the Christian life, and, it, and, I, and it's going to be useful to us. So let's start in first, you know, I kind of feel like Pastor Cam, I don't necessarily fear, feel spiritual coming up here with my papers, but I promise there's scriptures on here, I promise, okay? My Bible's over there, but this has the scriptures too. So First Thessalonians, do you know why I think my generation uses paper and electronics more? Because I think if I just use one translation of the Bible, I feel like I'm missing out on so many other things. So when I have it all in my paper, I've got it in this translation, that translation, you know? So just so you know, just so you know where I'm coming from there. But 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I'm going to start in the New Living Translation. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. This is one of my favorite verses because when I found this verse, it was right there, written so clearly, spirit, soul, and body. Because I had had some senses that like, you know, how some things are spiritual, some things are like how I feel on the inside, and well, obviously I have a body, but how do these things work? And then I found this verse, and the Lord showed it to me, and it was like one of those revelation moments. Oh, spirit, soul, and body makes up the whole man, the whole person. So we're going to start with that this morning. God made us to be like him. Let's look at this a little bit more. Let's go back to the beginning. It's a good place to start. You can laugh at that a little. Curse, you laugh. Beginning is a good place to start. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
And in verse 27, it goes on, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God, God's design and, and creative plan for us was to make us in his image. And, he's, and he says, to be like us. Well, we, most of us have heard of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. But really, it shouldn't be that complicated for us. Like we, there's so many things. Well, how can that? How can three be one? And and how they work together can seem complicated. Can seem like there's lots to it. And probably there is. But I don't think that God is trying to complicate things for us. I really don't believe that He wants us to be confused about things. So when I was thinking about these things, God said, "Look around you. There's th- there's threes in all different kinds of things." And so. We, the first thing that kind of came to me was an apple. Well, we all know an apple as an apple, but, I mean, an apple has a skin, and then the apple has a, has a flesh part, a fruit, and an apple has a core that has the seeds. Three parts. One thing. And then I thought, well, that's, that's true. And then I thought of a tree. Well, a tree has leaves and branches that are connected to a trunk. Those are two different things. And those two things are connected to the roots underneath. Three in one. And then I got thinking again. You would think I was a, ma- a mechanic or something, but I got thinking about my van again. And I was thinking, well, that's got a, a, the body I can see, the paint color and the make and the model. I can see that part, and then un- underneath that, there's the frame and there's the engine and all the things that make it go. And then someone gets in it and turns it on and puts the pedal to the metal. Three in one. And so there's things, God has modeled this three-in-one or, I mean, multiple things. Obviously, our bodies are made up of, of hundreds of different functions and organs and cells, and it works as one. But this, this model is all around us. So it's not hard for us to believe this, that we are three parts. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I've used this guy. Him and I are quite good friends. Uh, his name is Stickman, and I'm going to use him as my example here today, so that we can, um, not saying that we all look like stick man, but you can bring up that first one, Nathan. I mean, I, sometimes I'm quite, I'm almost that color of white this time of year, but uh, when I wear skinny jeans, they're not quite that skinny. But this is the part of stick man, or any one of us, that we could all see. It's the, it, we see and feel this part of us all the time. It's the most obvious because it's right there in front of us. And that's the body. Well, let's look at the next layer then, what, what the scripture said the, called the soul. The soul isn't a big circle here on, in you, but the soul is the part of you that, that's, a, that's an inner part of you that you can't see. See, I, I can see all your bodies right now, but I'm not talking to your bodies. I'm talking to you on the inside talking to your soul. Well, what is your soul? Many people have defined it, and I think this is a great working definition of it, as the mind, the will, and the emotions. Or I like to take that and put it into another way. It's the way you think, the way you choose, and the way you feel about things. And I believe it also encompasses your personality. Like some of you are louder, some of you are more quiet. Some of you like excitement, and some of you like things more subdued. Well, those things are part of what make you you, part of your personality, part of your conscience. So I believe that that's also part of it. 
And that's very specific to who you are. There's no one that has ever been and no one who will ever be who has your exact soul makeup. Never mind your DNA. You are so unique. There, there is only one you. That's pretty, that's pretty um, specific. Well then, it's like if you had another layer, if you were like an onion and you're kind of peeling back some layers, within your soul is something else that gets quite confused <clears throat> by a lot of people is, is something called the spirit, like, the, like we read in that first verse. And it... See, the Bible in a lot of places will use... Spirit and soul, or the word heart, interchangeably. And that can cause some confusion in the body because, or in the body of Christ, in Christians, because, well, what is it actually talking about? And is there a difference? And I believe there is a big difference between spirit and soul. And if we can, if we can clear some of that up, it is a real benefit to us. Because then when we're reading the scripture, we know, okay, this is talking about spirit. This is talking about soul. And, the, and we can differentiate the two. We can rightly divide the word and what it's talking about. So if I was to describe the spirit, and again, like, I'm probably not the final authority on this, but I believe that God's given me some revelation on it, and I've, and I've been learning and growing in this area and taking from, from other leaders in the body of Christ. So this is what my working kind of description of the spirit would be. It would be the innermost part of you. And it is... Like your soul, in that it's unseen. You can't see my spirit, but it's different than the soul because it also cannot feel. It doesn't have a sense. It doesn't have any contact with that sense realm of emotions or physical touch. We'll get into why that's important in a little bit, but I'll go on here with this, just kind of the general description. The spirit and the soul, they are the parts of you that are eternal and that will last forever. They're the, they're the you that live in your, your cute little brown-haired house. If you have brown shingles like me, or you have blonde shingles, or whatever your shingles look like, you let your spirit and your soul live in your body like you live in a house. Or, I've heard it described this way, like, if you put a glove on your hand, I mean, that looks like your hand. It moves like your hand. It's, it's the shape of your hand. That's like your hand. But the moment you take that glove off and you lay it on the counter, I mean, it's just a blob of material. There's no life in it, no shape to it. Well, when, you're, when your spirit and your soul slip out of your body and go, and go into eternity, well, your body is just, is just an empty place. It's a house that you live in. Your spirit is also the part of you that is either connected to God through salvation or not. No in between, either connected to God or not through salvation. Now, those are just my broad sort of descriptions to get us started because we need to be on some of the same, some of the same page here as we head, as we head into this because I, I believe that God has somewhere for us to go and I believe he has some, that there's some things that he wants to to do for us this morning, but we need to be using the same language. We need to be understanding that the difference between these things to really get the benefit of it. And now we're going to go into things in a little bit more detail. 
So I've talked about that our body and soul can be felt. If I came up to you this morning and I shook your hand, you would feel me shaking your hand. I would feel you. There would be contact. You can feel it. That's so easy for us to understand. Your body also is like constantly taking in the information around it. You're constantly, you always know whether you're too hot or too cold. You always know whether you're thirsty or hungry or not. You, you don't even have to think about it. You just are in constant contact with those things. And then in your soul, it's similar. I mean, I could say, you look so good today. What, what, I don't know what you're doing with your hair, but it is amazing. And those words are going to start doing something to you. They're going to start making you feel good. They're going to start pumping you up a little bit. And they have an effect on you. You can feel those words. Same with, we all, we've all been, I'm sure, hurt by words before. Words that just seem to, what do they say, just a knife through the heart. Because words can hurt. They have a feeling to them in your soul. So that leaves us with, then, the spirit. If our spirit can't be seen and it can't be felt, then how, how are we supposed to know or judge or, or know the condition of it? How are we supposed to know that? Well, we can. We can know it, friends. Let's look at James 1, 20, verses 23 to 25. This is, just, this is just new to me, and I'm just thinking like, oh, that is so good. That makes so much sense. So I hope you get that for you today, too. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you, carefully, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. So let's just pause right there. That's a lot of words. The perfect law that sets you free. What is that talking about? That's simply talking about the good news of all that God has given to us through Jesus. It's talking about the New Testament, the New Covenant. You know, everything that Pastor Cam was talking about last week. The blessing that we have in God. That's the perfect law that has set us free. So, we're talking about New Testament here in your Bibles. If you carefully look into it, and you do what it says, and you don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So to see what condition your spirit is in, the only way for us to know is for us to look in the mirror of God's word. The mirror of God's word. Because let me ask you, how many of you stood in front of the mirror, whether it be for 30 seconds, or more like me, like, you know, half hour, you know, whatever. I don't need to go into details how long it takes me to get looking good. But how many of you glance at yourself in the mirror at least for a little bit today? Am I the only one? Not, I hope everyone took at least a one little glance. Well, do you know that you were not actually looking at yourself this morning? Now, I'm not trying to be confusing. Just hear me out. You were looking at a reflection of yourself. Not one of us has looked into our own eyes face to face person to person. That's just weird. But you have seen a reflection of yourself so many times, and we have trained ourselves to trust what we see in the mirror. Unless you're in some kind of crazy fun house with the weird mirrors that make you look like your head's like this and your body's like this. Don't trust those mirrors. But a normal, regular mirror, we have trained ourselves to look at it and believe what we see in it and use that reflection to work on things that we can't feel. 
Like, ladies, putting on eyeliner without a mirror. I am not at that level yet of makeup expertise. That is tricky. For some reason, you just can't put it on by feeling the same way you can by looking at it. Or, guys, this, maybe you don't put on makeup. <laughs> but how many times have you gone to the bathroom, you wash your hands, and you look up, and you give yourself a smile, check the teeth, and you're like, how long has that piece of spinach been in my teeth? And then better, more, and then the second thing you think is, why didn't I feel that? You know, sometimes we need to trust, so we, we use that reflection, and we trust it, and we use it to work on things that we can't feel. It's very similar with the Word of God. We need to use it to, to see what, something we can't feel or contact with the natural realm, our spirits. We need to use the Word to know the condition of it. So, if that's true, then what are we seeing in God's mirror? What does God's mirror say about our spirits? Friends, this, don't worry, this is good news. This is all good. God's mirror shows us that at salvation, at salvation, that point where you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you say with your mouth that, you, that God raised him from the dead, whatever that point was for you, whatever the exact words for you, but in your heart you believed and with your mouth you spoke out and your point of salvation comes, at that point, the word says, God's mirror says that your spirit undergoes an instant and complete transformation. Instant and complete. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Now I'm in the New King James translation, just in case you're wondering. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if anyone who has had a real salvation moment, he is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, now all things are of God. So we take a scripture like that, and we try to feel something. Now don't get me wrong, when something like when your spirit becomes new and you, have, and you have experienced that life of God in there, it will and it should have an effect on your soul and your body. But it's not the effect on your soul and body that makes it true whether it happened or not. So confusion can come if we assume that we can just feel that our spirit is saved or, or not saved, that we can just feel it, that we can feel this spiritual truth and, and sense it in our souls and bodies all the time. And, and friends, we're not, God isn't asking us to feel our complete and total salvation. He's asking for us to believe that it happened. We are walking by faith and not by sight. I think it goes on to say that in, in, chapter, in that chapter 5 there. We're walking by faith and not by sight. We're walking by faith, not by our senses. We're talking about our spirit. So if you, and then if you take this passage... And you try to think, okay, on this side, I've got brown hair, brown eyes, and freckles. Okay, and I'm not saved. Okay, now I have a salvation experience. And the moment after, I still have brown hair, brown eyes, and freckles. Or, 
like Nicodemus in, in uh, John chapter 3 it is, I think he asked Jesus, so you're telling me to be born again, do I need to enter into my mother's womb again to be born? Because that's just weird. And so the moment before you're saved, you're a grown, you're a grown adult, then you get saved, and you're still a grown adult. There was no transformation into a baby state. Like, your, your body didn't become new. So this passage is not talking about a total, complete change in your body. Not all things in your body became brand new. So it, it's not talking about that. So you can't judge your salvation or judge the condition of your spirit based on your body. What about your soul, then? Let's say that on this side of salvation, before you were saved, you did not know how to fly an airplane. But you got saved. You met Jesus. And now, you still don't know how to fly an airplane. That moment of salvation didn't change the way you think, didn't change your memory, hasn't changed the way you feel, the way you feel and everything that you've learned. It didn't change that. I mean, okay, let's put, it, let's put it this way. If you worry about everything, if you were just a worrier, like you just called yourself a worrier, you worried about everything, always anxious, then you got saved. Well, guess what? You are still going to be in the habit of worrying on the other side of salvation. Now, you, glory to God, we don't stay there. We don't stay there because we'll go on to see that our souls have the opportunity to be renewed. Glory to God. There should be some amens in the house for that. Our souls don't have to stay the way they always were. They were meant to be renewed. But this scripture isn't talking about your soul. It's not saying that everything in your soul became brand new and that everything in your soul is now everything God. Because if we were all honest with ourselves, we'd all probably be the first ones to admit that, yeah, I'm probably not all God in here. Because we don't, we, don't, we don't function on that level quite yet. So what is this scripture talking about then? Any guesses? It's talking about our spirit. This is a reflection of what your spirit looks like before God. Because we, we might not be able to see our spirit, but he can. The spirit transformation. Let's look at a couple more verses that talk to, um, that are a reflection of what our spirit looks like, what God shows us in the Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We're kind of coming in mid-sentence here, but the eyes of your understanding, so it's talking about those who have experienced salvation, being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his, capital H, so a hope of God's calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's a lot of words. I don't want us to get caught up in the words, so let's break it down a little bit. I want you to draw your attention to that line that says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the riches, well, that... That speaks to a a good amount, lots of, no lack of. And then glory, well, God gave Jerry Savelle the the working definition of glory as the power 
the presence, and the goodness of God as a way to describe the glory. So we could say the richness of the power, the presence, and the goodness of God's inheritance. An inheritance is something that was, that was stored up for you, to be given to you. So his power, his presence, and his goodness that was stored up and set aside for you, and that's been put somewhere. And this verse tells us where it's been put. It's been put in the saints. It's been put in those whose spirits have been completely transformed by that moment of salvation to God. That moment of receiving that salvation. So, like I was reading this, and it just got, it just got in me and all over me that, that the, the goodness, the power, and the presence of God is in me. It is in me, richly. And, and how could that be? The only reason that can be is because I have a place that is good enough and holy enough to put him. And that place is my born-again spirit. Because it's perfect. That, that was the part of me that was washed as white as snow. And it's the only part of me right now that can, that can withstand or that can hold up to the glory of God. But it's in me. The glory of God is in me. The glory of God is here right now in you and in me. Let's look at another one. 1 John 4, verses 16 and 17. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. That's a lot of abiding in and loving in, but it's talking about salvation. You're you're choosing to be in God, and he comes in you. That's salvation. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because why do we have this boldness? Because as he, capital H... As God is, so are we in this world. Not just when our spirits and souls enter into eternity. So are we, like God, here in this world. How is that possible? Because I know that my soul is not 100% like God. Trust me. Or talk to my kids. (sighs) Don't talk to Ryan, though. (laughs) He would only have good to say anyways. But we are like God in this world because of the place we have on the inside of us that's been blood-bought and blood-washed, totally recreated new to house the Holy Spirit of God himself. And that, my friends, is how we connect with God. We don't connect with God by reaching and just, oh God, oh God, if I can just grab onto you. It is, God, you are already in me. Is that a bit of a shift in how we, in how we approach God? So many times we approach God like, he's, like we just need to get something from him. If I could just get that. When he's already given Everything of him, everything that he has, he gave to us through Jesus and put in us at salvation. 
So don't be discouraged when you don't feel this. There will be times in your life where you don't feel necessarily the benefits of the, of the state of your spirit being totally perfect before God. Don't be discouraged, but rather you are to be encouraged. You're to be encouraged today because God's mirror is showing us that whether we feel it or not, our born-again spirit is perfect and complete as it will ever get throughout all eternity. That's you right now. If you have done that, if you have received Jesus as your Lord, this is talking about you. These scriptures are describing and painting you a picture, a reflection of what you look like in your spirit. Our spirits hold the glory of God inside of us. The glory is here. The glory is here. And our spirits will remain as perfect, mature, and complete as Jesus himself. So next time you're reading through Ephesians and you go on from chapter 1 there and it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, it's a little easier to think of how it's possible that you are seated with Jesus at the side of the Father. It's not because you feel your righteousness. It's because you are righteous before God. He sees you there with Jesus. And it's, in, it's your spirit. It's your spirit. There's a very real spiritual realm that many Christians don't even acknowledge. That don't even pay mind to. But, but God would not have us ignorant. He would not have us... He doesn't want us to, have a, to just go through life and not know these things. Why? Because just being saved is not enough. Your salvation of your spirit is more than just a ticket to heaven. That's great. I want one of those tickets. I'm going there. Trust me. Definitely. I'm going to be on, I'm on that train. But, it, but this is good news. What I'm sharing with you is good news, not just because it gets you to heaven, but it has an impact, or it's supposed to have an impact on you here today in this world. God's word gives us instructions on how to get what he's given us into our spirits, on how to get that out of our spirit, flowing into our souls and our bodies so that we can enjoy the benefits of salvation. We talk about that here in this church, the benefits of salvation, the blessing of the Lord. And so often we think, well, I just got to grab them, just got to grab them as they go by, grab that, grab that. It's a different picture that we're getting here this morning when it's already in you. The process in a Christian life is not getting from God. It's a process of renewing the mind and learning to release what you've already been given. Learning to release what you've already been given. So this comes from what we talked about earlier, the opportunity we have to renew our mind. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is this talking about your spirit? No, it's not, because your spirit's already been transformed. This is talking about 
the renewing of your mind. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your mind, your will, and emotions. And it goes on to say that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In the New Living Translation, verse 2 goes like this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. The way you think carries much weight with what direction your life is going to go. And whether or not you enjoy and pull out of you, your spirit, the benefits of being saved. How you think will determine what comes out of your spirit. Renewing your mind is... How do you do that? Well, renewing your mind is simply hearing the word of God. Putting the word of God in you. And it's a process of hearing and believing. Hearing and believing. And as you hear the word and as you believe it, guess what's changing? Your soul is changing. Your thinking's changing. And this is the part that is exciting. This is significant because majority rules. And as you begin to renew your mind, it begins to agree with what's happened in your spirit. Your spirit is already 100% for God. It is right. It's made. It's totally in his image right now. It's always agreeing with God. Your soul, though, includes some choice. It's a, a part of your soul is choosing. So the more your mind is renewed to the things of God, the more it begins to agree with your spirit. And you've got two-thirds of you now that are filled with God. Two-thirds that are agreeing with the word. And two-thirds against one-third majority rules. Now, this is a big responsibility, though. Because your soul easily can, be, can agree with, with your... can agree with senses... Your soul can easily be pulled by things that you feel in your body, things that you feel in your soul, and can easily be pulled to the other side where you also have two-thirds of agreeing about something, but you're not agreeing um, the blessing. So this is a... Your soul is a very pivotal part of you. And we oftentimes maybe don't take enough responsibility for that. But glory to God, we are not alone in this. I want to um, give you this picture. Um, So let's say you have a fire hydrant. So that fire hydrant, I mean, packed in there is as much water as you could possibly need at a very strong flow. So that's kind of like your spirit. It's connected to the spirit of God. I mean, there is nothing there but flow and water and at what you need for that moment. So then a fireman comes along and hooks up a hose and hooks that hose up and that's going to, for the sake of this diagram, invisible diagram that I'm acting out for you, I'm good at charades, by the way, you put the hose onto the, that would be your body, is, is connected to the fire hydrant of the spirit. But there's something in between those two that keep them from being connected and that is a valve. So a firefighter comes along, and they have that valve off to start until all the guys have the hose and they're ready. And then someone just opens that valve up and 
well, maybe they don't open it all the way. I'm not sure how powerful those things are, but they open it up and water's there. Well, your soul is like that valve. And you control in your soul whether you've got that valve closed or open a little for a little trickle or you've got it open a little more or open a little more. But listen to what the flow should be or what it can be. John 7, verse 38. This is Jesus speaking. He says, He who believes in me, not feels, just this is talking about faith. All you have to do is believe. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, that living water comes from the Spirit of God through your spirit, and it was meant to keep flowing. It wasn't meant to just stay in your spirit. It was meant to flow through your spirit, permeate your soul, and just go through your body and then out of you into the people around you. That's what it's designed to do. That's what the design of the flow is supposed to do. Now here's something that that's a little bit more specific that I feel the Lord wants me to talk about. Like I said, in the, in the Bible, the word... Um, Spirit and soul, a lot of times you, the word they use instead is heart. We're more, where a lot of us are familiar, well, if we say, I feel it in my heart, that means you feel it, you feel it inside. <clears throat> but here's a word that we use, that I'm going to use today, and it's the word heartbreak. Oftentimes, if you're in the right age group, that will immediately get you thinking about Elvis Presley staying at the Heartbreak Hotel. But if you're not that age, then maybe it would just get you thinking about relationships in general. You know, that's a lot of times what it's referred to more specifically is when there's been a, a break in a relationship. And because they're into a, an intimate relationship where it just broke in someone's heart. Heartbreak. Well, we have a job to do, and that's to watch over our souls. We're to watch over our souls looking for symptoms of heartbreak. Because we do not want to break in our flow from the Spirit of God. I don't want to live with, a, with no flow. I don't even want to just live with just a trickle. I mean, I want that constant flow of the power and goodness and presence of God in my life. So heartbreaks can be, I kind of like definitions. They get, me, get us all thinking the same. So heartbreaks can be great sorrow or grief or disappointment. And they can be any form of hurt that hasn't been healed. Hurt that's led to doubt. Doubt that's led to wrong thinking. Wrong thinking that's possibly led to wrong actions. Heartbreak. A downward spiral. We don't want to have that in our lives. And God doesn't want us to have to have that. So he's he's given us the responsibility of watching over, watching for symptoms... So what could be symptoms that you've had this experience, some kind of experience in you that's caused a break? Well, if you're feeling anything in your soul that's like feelings of unforgiveness, bitterness, rejection, worry, possibly insecurity or jealousy, maybe pride, depression or feeling condemned, those are symptoms that there's been a break or a block in your flow. How many know that it's good when you, ha- when you diagnose a symptom because you know how to 
you can find out how to treat it, right? That's why it's important for us to self-diagnose. But the thing is, is that we don't diagnose our souls on our own. We're not just on our own here. 1 Peter 2, 25, this scripture just blesses me. Once, you know, actually, I've given parts of this message at youth, but I focus on the sheep and the good shepherd, and it's really good. You guys should come to youth sometime to hear it. But it says, well, you were like, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. You are not the only one in there guarding over your soul, watching over your soul to keep the, the flow of going. You have the guardian of your soul, Jesus, helping you. Let me read you this. Jesus is your soul shepherd. Because we know from Scripture that he is a good shepherd, he is very interested in your mind. So we're going to talk about your soul now. He's talking about your mind being sound. Do you know what I mean like that? A sound mind. Clear thinking with wisdom. He's interested in your will, the way you're choosing, in being secure. Not going back and forth. Your will is secure and set. He's very interested in your emotions being stable. Not that you don't ever feel, but that you don't get carried by your emotions. Like the instant you get mad, you're raging at the world, but it's being able to stay constant. Your emotions being stable. He's interested in those things for you. His desires for you to be, to be completely healthy at your core. He's after your heart, your soul. And he is more interested with how you look on the inside than how you look on the outside. You can remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, he said, the Lord said to Samuel, when Samuel was looking for the next king, he said, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way, that, the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance what they can see and feel. But the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord sees our souls. Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 23 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. It's talking about what God is saying. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Let them penetrate deep into your soul, renewing the mind. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Do you see how it's flowing? It's flowing from God through your spirit, through your soul, into your body. Let them penetrate deep in your heart, for they bring life to those who find them, healing to their whole body. And then here's a warning. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. What side your, your soul is agreeing with determines the course of your life. And God's will for us can be to have the most blessed, most, success, most successful, most victorious life. That is his 100% will. But yet he, we have the choice and the responsibility to agree with that 
in order for us to go in that direction. So guarding over your soul with the help of Jesus, the guardian of your soul, we are warned to guard your heart. Verse 23 in, um, from Proverbs 4 there, in the God's, God's Word translation, says it this way, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. The source of your life flows from your heart because it's the valve that opens and closes the flow of the Spirit to you. Matthew eleven twenty three twenty eight. Says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. But listen to this I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. God is very interested in this, He's very interested in you on the inside. I'm going to read you this short story from uh, Jeremy Pearson's is George and Terry Pearson's son, and he's the grandson of Kenneth Copeland. And him and his wife have a ministry and, um, called Pearson's Ministry, and they put out a, a bit of a magazine. <clears throat> I think they do maybe four a year or something. And this is, a, this is from an article that Sarah wrote, so Jeremy's wife, Sarah, and it's about her friend. She says, A dear friend of mine was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma at the young age of 23. The doctors told her that there was a mass wrapped around her heart. She could barely breathe. It was literally suffocating her. I asked her about the years leading up to the diagnosis, and she expressed to me that they were full of heart hurt and heartbreak. When she was 15 years old, her parents went through a traumatic divorce, and her life as a teenager was never peaceful again. Growing up, she was always very close to her father, but as the years went on, he slowly began to resent her with no explanation why. He became verbally and psychologically abusive, and when she moved away to college at age 18, she sought help through many counselors in an effort to make sense of it all. She said her soul, her soul stayed in a constant state of turmoil, trying to figure out why her father, who had always loved her, suddenly despised her. And when my friend told me her story, there were two words she used to describe the five years leading up to the cancer. Heartbroken and rejected. But several weeks into the treatment, she had a life-altering moment when she heard the Lord say to her, I'm healing your heart so I can heal your heart. She said in that moment, all the heaviness completely lifted from her and she hasn't shed a tear over that situation since. She's been cancer-free for seven years, or probably be close to nine years now, and is enjoying life uh, and her ministry with her husband and baby. Jesus had to heal the condition of her heart before he could heal her heart condition. There's more to being healthy in your soul than just having a good outlook on life. It has a big effect on the quality of life that you will live here. It has much to do with your quality of life. That's why God would have us figure this out. That's why he would give us wisdom and revelation in this area so that we can access 
all his benefits so that we don't forget one of them, but we have them all in our life. Jesus is the heartbreak healer. The heartbreak healer. Listen to these scriptures that talk specifically about this. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Now this translation, translating it, him bearing our griefs and our sorrows, that, that gives us a picture of possible, like, that's more inner words. Grief and sorrow would describe inner pains and hurts. But other translations take this, and the Young's literal says, Surely our sicknesses he has borne and our pains. Now those speak more specifically to what we would feel in our body. Problems and pains that we would have in our bodies. This scripture is talking about internal and external. Sickness, pain, and disease. He hath carried them. And we having esteemed him plagued, smitten of God and afflicted, He is pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him. And listen to this. By his bruise, there is healing to us. Friends, a bruise is bleeding underneath. Jesus bled inside as a way to take our inside hurt and pain away. We don't have to be hurt anymore. We don't have to be sick in our souls. He paid enough and did enough for us to to cover that. In fact, Jesus took the penalty of being completely cut off from the flow of God himself. He cut himself completely off from that flow by his choice And it was God's great plan that he would do that. And Jesus looked at us and he knew it was worth it. It was worth him being cut off from the Father so that each one of us could have the flow of life flowing through us. He paid enough for us to have access I don't want to miss out on on accessing that. And I believe, God, that we are not missing out. We will not miss out. Jesus' heart was broken so that ours does not have to be. Isaiah 61, verse 1. This is the passage of scripture that was one I like to call Jesus' first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's why Jesus came. He came to heal us in our bodies. He came to heal us in our souls. And he came to make our spirit be available to God, to be a perfect dwelling place. Without Jesus, that couldn't have happened. Psalm 147, verse 3 says it very plainly. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up all their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up all their wounds. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. The opening of our eyes and the opening of our understanding here today. And Father, I believe that this is not just a one-time experience, but this is now a lifetime of building on this revelation of who we really are in you and what you have really done for us. I pray this over you. This is from Hebrews 13. I'm praying that the God of peace who brought the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, back to life through the blood of an eternal promise. And may this God of peace, who puts all things together and makes all things whole, now put you together and provide you with everything you need to do his will. Father, may you work in us through Jesus Christ what is pleasing to you. We know that us enjoying the benefits of our salvation is pleasing to the Father. It's pleasing to the Father. Glory to God. Maybe you're here today and you are not confident that you have had that salvation moment. That you have totally trusted in God and and said it out loud. Then this is your day of salvation, friends. And if you are not sure, today, be sure. Be sure that your spirit is renewed and totally transformed here today so that you can begin to experience all the benefits of salvation. I invite you to do that today. All you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you were sent to save me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I make you my Lord. I thank you for your love. I mean, if you say that and you mean it, you are saved. Glory to God. Your spirit's transformed. Now, I also want to lead you in just a prayer that you can repeat after me. Because it helps your spirit to hear your words coming in your ears. It helps build faith in you. So why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you 
Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are at work here, here in our hearts and here in our bodies. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to work. You're welcome to flow. And we thank you for the word that's been sown into our souls today. It will produce a harvest in our lives as we attend to those words and not forget them and do what they say. So repeat this after me. Lord, I make my heart open and tender before you now. I ask for your healing love to wash over me and heal every bit of heartbreak and hurtful memory. I choose to forgive those who have hurt me. I choose to forgive myself. I receive your love. Poured in, spread out, and filled up in my soul. I believe that you've put your power, presence, and goodness in my spirit. I open the floodgate of life to flow through my soul and body. I am healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm whole. And I'm fit to be used by you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You might feel like you just repeated some of those things. But let me tell you something. Faith has to begin somewhere. Faith has to begin where the will of God is known. You've heard the will of God here today, and you've spoken it with your mouth. And that is the beginning of something being drawn out of your spirit. You draw, you grab hold and draw it out. You don't have to grab out here. It's here. The glory is in you. And we, when we already have it, we just enjoy it. We just draw from it. Father God, we do thank you for your faithfulness to your word. Thank you for the opportunity to receive revelation from you, to grow in God, to grow in our soul, to mature and, be, and to become closer to being perfect in you. We thank you, Father, for filling us with your perfect love. And your word says that that perfect love casts out fear. Cast that fear out. And we can be anchored and secure in you, our good, good shepherd. Thank you, Father, for the time that we can spend here together. I speak blessing over the people here, blessing over the time that they have sown. And I pray that they will reap they will reap the benefit of giving their time to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to invite you. If, you. if you have some things that you need to take care of this morning up here, there's nothing magical about this space, but it can be a point in your life where turnaround happens. And sometimes we need to make a point I'm doing it. So if the Lord's been speaking to you this service, some things have come to your mind that you just need some more time. 
with the Lord. You come on up here. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. You, if you just want to be by yourself, that's great. And we have prayer people, faith people, to agree with you and stand with you. There's no shame in using them. There's no shame in that. So I encourage you to, to, to do that if you need to. If today was your day of salvation, you better get up here and tell someone about it so we can have a little birthday party. Amen. Well, as you go and enjoy the coffee and snacks, love on each other, bless each other. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Pastor Cam will be back. Amen. Isn't 